couple things as we prepare to hear God's word. Uh, First, I just want to remark on how gracious and generous the Lord has been in providing us with people with all kinds of gifts, gifts especially of music, but gifts of service, of care, of love. We are really blessed as a church body and blessed too with the opportunity we have and the practice we have of being generous with places like Roseland and Ebenezer that minister to the least of these. So it is truly a blessing from the Lord and a blessing that you as a congregation embrace the Lord's calling. For our sermon today, we're going to read from Mark chapter 2. This is part of a series on the gospel of Mark that we're calling, Who Do You Say I Am? And we're working through the first half of the gospel of Mark these next few weeks, and then we'll pick it up again looking toward Easter and finish up the second half of the book. But the the central question really of the gospel of Mark is, who do you say I am? Who do we say Jesus is? What is our response to Jesus as he is revealed in the gospel of Mark and the scriptures? Tonight, we're going to be picking up the gospel of Mark again. I'm going to give kind of an overview of the whole gospel, and there will be a chance after the sermon this evening to ask questions. So if you have any burning questions that you want to ask, preferably about the gospel of Mark, but I'll take any question you have, uh, come back tonight. We'll probably meet outside, and we will reflect some more on this gospel. And now let's read from Mark chapter 2. We'll read from verse 1 to verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord for us today. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. So usually I try to walk through text more verse by verse, following the progression of the story. But this morning we're going to work a little bit more thematically and see some things that come up again and again. And I had a little bit of a longer reading this morning, including the story of the paralyzed man and the tax collector. 
because I think those stories mutually reinforce and inform each other. And, and you see this a lot in the Gospel of Mark, if you read through it, that Mark has very intentionally arranged many of the stories he tells, so that if you look forward and you look backward, lots of the stories are commenting on each other, or opening each other up, or showing you something. So, so if you get a chance, and as we go forward, be, be thinking not just of the story that you're looking at right now in the Gospel of Mark, but always be asking, what came before? What came after? How is Mark opening up all of these stories to us? So today we're going to talk about a problem and then a solution. And then we're going to talk about a question and two answers. So a problem, a solution, a question, two answers. Our first, uh, our first point and the problem here, we're all unhealthy. And I chose the term unhealthy. That's maybe a little bit more clumsy than sick. But, but our culture is obsessed with health on so many levels these days. Physical health, mental health, emotional health, all kinds of, of healthiness. We talk about that a lot. So, so we're going to talk about how we're all unhealthy. Now, one of my favorite books is, is called A Great Divorce. And it's by C.S. Lewis. And it's the story of a bus trip from hell to heaven. There are a bunch of souls who have ended up in hell and they have this opportunity to take a kind of field trip to heaven and they go up to heaven and, and this is not by any means a literal picture of the afterlife. It's intended to help tell a story. But they get to heaven and these damned souls are, are met by, by angels and by saved souls and they have these conversations and all of these people from hell who have gone to heaven and who in this story, in this story, have the opportunity to stay, well, they all have a twist they all have something sick. They all have something wrong. They all are unhealthy in some way that makes them prefer hell to heaven. So there is an artist who was famous in his time on earth. And, and yeah, the, you know, heaven, the landscape is beautiful. But all he really wants to do is paint it. He doesn't care about the reality. All he wants is, is the little reality that he can create. That's all he wants. And there is a wife, or it could just as easily be a husband. There's a wife who, who wants her spouse because she wants, she wants somebody she can control. She wants to be able to get hold of somebody and get them under her control, and she would rather have that than all the joy of, of belonging to the Lord and having the Lord belong to her. And there's a boss who always did right on earth and always gave everybody their due, and all he wants is his rights. None of this grace, none of this charity. I just want my rights, even if that lands him in hell. And there's a very sophisticated, elderly, pastor, clergy sort of guy, and all he wants is to make sure that we're, we're in keeping with the spirit of the age and that we, don't, that we don't tell anybody what's right and wrong, but we all just, just go with the flow. And he would rather continue to go with the flow than, than hold on to Jesus, who is finally right. And then there is a man who, who is the most disturbing of the spirits in some respects. He has this nasty lizard on his shoulder who, who keeps whispering these nasty, kind of perverted ideas in his head that, that he, he can't give up, even though he knows this lizard is killing him. All of these are pictures of people who would rather hold on to their unhealthiness than embrace the, the new life, the health, the vibrancy that the Lord offers to them. And in this story here in Mark, we see another cast of of unhealthy characters, of people who have something twisted or broken about them. We see the paralyzed man, and it's, it's obvious what's, what's wrong with him. At least it seems obvious that he is physically broken, that he is unable to take care of himself, that he requires constant care from others, and in that time and place, his life expectancy and quality of life are, are awfully, awfully limited. 
And in the next story, we see a man who is not physically broken, but who is socially broken. Levi, the tax collector. And, and you know, the paralyzed man has some friends who are going to bring him to Jesus. Nobody, nobody is bringing Levi to Jesus. He is totally rejected. He is outside the pale. He is, well, it's okay to lie to him. It's okay to cheat him. If he enters a house, it's unclean. He is, he is socially incredibly unhealthy. And then there are these other tax collectors and sinners that gather together, and, and there's a reason that tax collectors are rejected, because they are terrible people. They are morally unhealthy, and so this whole group is, is a moral cesspit on any objective standard. They are awful people. They're morally unhealthy. And then there are the teachers of the law, and from everything that they could tell and everything that we could tell by looking at them, they look good, but they are well, shall we say, religiously unhealthy. They are legalists. They are thinking that if they just follow the laws and they do these things, that everything will be all right. But, but that has turned them, turned them into prideful and terrible people. All the people. All the people except Jesus in this story are profoundly, tremendously unhealthy. And we all... We all resemble that remark. Perhaps you come today and you are physically unhealthy. There is something not right with your body and you, and you struggle and struggle and struggle with it. Or maybe you come and, and you're emotionally and mentally in a difficult place and, and you just can't get on top of life. You just can't do it. Or maybe you're socially unhealthy, that you have broken relationships or relationships have been broken through what doesn't seem any fault of your own and, and you just can't connect anymore. You just can't do it. Or maybe you're morally unhealthy. Maybe there's something or a whole list of things in your life and, and if we knew your browser history or we knew where you've been this last week, then, then wow, would we know how broken and unhealthy you are. Or maybe, and this might be the toughest unhealthiness of all to deal with, maybe, maybe you're just fine. Maybe you're in good shape. Maybe your life is good and you don't know what all this talk about unhealthiness is because you're okay. Maybe you think you're religiously healthy. And often, if you think you are totally religiously healthy, you are the most unhealthy person of all because, because you can't admit that you're sick. We're all unhealthy. That's the problem. And the solution in this text, and the only real solution available in the universe, is that Jesus has the power to heal. Jesus has the power to heal. And, and I know that doesn't sound incredibly, incredibly like it's new news. It's old news, but it's good news. And we need to hear it again and again because we forget. Jesus does have the power to heal. And so often, in so many ways, on so many levels, we are not tapping into the resources that Jesus has for us. When I was in high school, I was over at a friend's house once, and, and their dad came over, and he was talking a little bit about how their grandpa and grandma, you know, they were, I think, 98, 99, and they were finally moving into the retirement home, and, and there were all these things they had to work out, and what did they keep, and what did they sell, and, and grandma just really wanted a new recliner. She'd had the same recliner for 50 years. You could see the frame. It was done. She couldn't hardly get out of it. She just wanted a new recliner. That was it. 
Everything else was fine. And Grandpa kept saying, well, I, I, I don't know if we can afford that. I don't know if we can afford the recliner. And, and there's this one account, maybe, but it only has 20 in it. It's only, I don't think we can get a recliner. It's only got 20 in it. And the kids had finally sat down and gone through the accounts. When they came to that one, Grandpa said, it's only got 20 in it, and your mom, she wants a recliner. I just don't know if we can do it. And they lifted up the sheet. And yeah, there was only 20 in the account. 20,000. And so the youngest son graciously said, Dad, I think we can get Mom a recliner. I think we can do that. It's okay. It's got 20,000. And I want to suggest that often in our lives we are living as if Jesus only has $20 available to us when, he has, when he's got that 20,000, when he's got that infinite amount of grace and care and healing available to us. Jesus does have the power to heal. And we see that in this text. We see Jesus heal a paralyzed man. He says, get up and walk. And this guy gets up and walks. And we see this tax collector sitting at his tax booth being a a morally and socially sick person. And Jesus says, hey, get up, follow me. And Levi is healed. And he gets up and follows Jesus. And he steps into a new kind of life. And we see these tax collectors and sinners who who Jesus is willing to enter into their lives to bring them healing. Jesus forgives and heals all of these people. Their unhealthiness, their need is addressed by Jesus and resolved by Jesus. And so I want to invite you to reflect today what your unhealthiness is. Is it physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, social, more? What what is it? And are you... Are you bringing that to Jesus? Are you going to Jesus and asking for healing? When he comes to you and invites you in some way to to get up and leave that behind, are you answering that call? Jesus has more than enough for you. Are you receiving it? Now, I say that and all that's true, but... But if you're like me, and if you're like most people, there's a question on your mind at this point. And that question could be phrased in all kinds of ways, but but maybe it's, it's basically, how dare he? How dare he? Why does Jesus talk like that? Because you see, we aren't healed. How dare Jesus heal like that? Or how dare he not heal like that? And let's, let's think about that in this story a little bit. From the angle of the teachers of the law, these are, these are people who have it together. They know the truth. They know the rules. They know how it's supposed to go. And they see Jesus, and Jesus claims to forgive people. And Jesus hangs out with unclean people, with tax collectors and sinners. And how dare he do that? How dare he? Only God can forgive sins. And here is this man claiming to forgive sins. How dare he? And you know what? The teachers of the law aren't wrong. Only God can forgive sins. So what Jesus is claiming to do here, if he is not God, is absolutely and completely abominable and unacceptable. How dare he? How dare he? So that's the teachers of the law, and they're coming at it from the angle of only God can do things like that. How dare he set himself up like this? 
But now let's, let's insert ourselves in the place of that paralyzed man. And in verse 5, Jesus looks at, these, looks at this man and his friends, and he sees their faith. And what does he say? He said, son, your sins are forgiven. And you can imagine the paralyzed man thinking, what? It sounds irrelevant. It sounds even inappropriate. He's paralyzed, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven? Like, um, thanks, but could we address the real problem? It'd be like if you show up at a car dealership to pick up the brand new car that you ordered, and the guy says, well, here's your boat. I mean, it might be a great boat. Who wants to turn down a boat? But I need a car. What are you giving me that for? Why does Jesus talk about forgiveness when that's not the problem here? And I think a lot of us have times in our lives when when we hear, okay, Jesus offers forgiveness, and we hear, okay, Jesus healed that person, and Jesus healed that person, but why doesn't he deal with this? Because life is broken. Because in this room right now, we have parents who are missing their children and will not see them again in this life. We have widows and widowers who are growing old without their spouses. We have, we have people who have unhealthiness that they hate and despise and yet cannot get rid of. We have physical conditions that the doctors don't have any solutions for. We have emotional and health and mental health burdens that, that if only we could get rid of, but Jesus won't take it away even though I've asked a thousand times. And what do we do with that? Because you see, it's easy to say Jesus has the power to heal, but, but when it comes to real life, when it comes to real life, it often doesn't seem like Jesus gives us the healing that we want and, and the healing that we need. And those are fair questions. We are, we are not being helpful if we, do not, if we do not recognize the reality that we do not all get the healing that we want. That today we will walk out of here with a lot of the same unhealthiness that we walked in with. But the Bible has answers even to those hard questions. And they, they may not always be the answers we want, but I think they are the answers we need. So let's talk about a couple of those answers. And this is not the whole list, but a couple answers. And one answer is that in this text, Jesus shows us signs of healing. He shows us that, that in the end, all of our unhealthiness will be addressed. I cannot tell you why God does not heal you right this very moment. He could. He could heal all of us right now. And I can't tell you why he doesn't. But I can tell you that he is good, and I can tell you that in this text we see signs that God does have, God truly does have the power over all of our brokenness and all of our sickness and all of our corruption and all of our guilt and all of that. And there will come a day when he sets us free. There will come a day when we stand on the foothills of heaven and all of that, if we belong to Jesus, will fall away. And we will finally be free. And we will finally be healthy. And we will finally be whole. And what this text does is not promise us like the prosperity gospel, that we'll have it all right now if only we have enough faith. What it tells us is our Lord is so faithful that he will in the end provide for each and every one of us. And he promises us and he provides our daily bread, enough to get through today. 
So whatever worries we are facing today, we have these, these signs that the Lord will provide healing. That's one answer in this text. And then there's another answer in this text. And the second answer, you have my permission to, you have my permission to ignore today if it's not helpful to you right now. But I also want you to really reflect on it. And the other answer to, to the question of why does Jesus heal or not heal is that Jesus heals our real sickness. Jesus heals our real sickness. You see in this text, that paralyzed man, he needs physical healing, but what he needs even more than that is healing in his relationship with the Lord. And yes, Levi, the tax collector, he needs social healing, but what he needs even more than that is to be healed in terms of his connection to his creator, to the heavenly father. And actually, actually it's the religious leaders, the teachers of the law in this text who might need healing the most because they are sure they're okay. They're sure they don't need anything, and, and one of their worst symptoms is that they're blind to their unhealthiness. There's actually a particular, a particular syndrome, a particular type of brain injury that you can get where you become blind, but your mind does not allow you to realize it. So people who have this condition literally cannot see, but they also are unable to recognize that. And so they make up all kinds of excuses and, and they construct their own reality, but, but in fact, they walk around bumping into the furniture and knocking into doors because they can't see, but they can't let themselves see that they can't see. And that is the human condition. Part of our unhealthiness is that we can't see reality. We can't see the deep, deep need that we, that we have. And so, yeah, we might come to Jesus and think, well, what I need is a comfortable life. What I need is, is this thing or that thing to be taken care of, and then I'll finally be okay. But, but there will always be another thing. If you talk to people whose lives are really successful, for the most part, they hit this point where they realize they've got it all, and it doesn't mean anything. Or if you talk to people who, who are delivered from really difficult circumstances, after a while, they they realized that the problem wasn't ultimately the circumstances. It was something, something else. And Jesus comes and he heals that something else. He takes us past the symptoms to the very root of our unhealthiness and he heals us there. And I invite you today to seek that deeper healing. And as I do this, I recognize that it, it requires tremendous vulnerability. You see, a lot of us, a lot of us carry hurt that, that we don't talk about. A lot of us have deep wounds and deep unhealthiness that we've never addressed because it's just too hard. And there are all these other symptoms in our lives, all these other things going on that, yes, can be hard and, yes, can be terrible, but, but we try to deal with those things instead of really getting to the root of what is driving our unhealthiness. And what this text invites us to is to is to go to those dark places, not by ourselves, but with the one who can cure them. Part of the reason I invited you to say you can ignore this point if you want is that it's not always the right time to really go to those deep places. But perhaps for you, perhaps for you this week is a call to really go to some of those places that you're scared to go. And to go there with Jesus. And to see how Jesus can come to you at that very worst part of your life and say, you are forgiven, you are healed. 
In the great divorce, almost all of those lost souls decide they would rather have hell on their own terms rather than heaven on God's terms. The artist only wants to create his own reality. The the spouse just wants to control the other person. The boss just wants his rights. He wants nothing to do with grace. But there is one character and only one character in that book who finally accepts grace. And it's, it's the guy with the nasty lizard on his shoulder, the one who looks the worst of the whole bunch, the one who, who seems the least likely to receive salvation. But he at least knows that he is not right, that he is not healthy. And an angel comes to him and offers, offers to deliver him. But to deliver him, he'll have to kill the lizard this man's only constant companion. And, and the man wavers and quavers and says, no, and yes, and finally says, yes, do it. God, help me. God, help me. And God helps him. And the angel grabs the lizard and breaks its back, and that habit is finally broken. And then, and then in one of the most moving scenes in that book, the lizard is transformed. It dies. It dies. But then it grows up into this great white horse and that now saved soul jumps on it and they're away like a comet streaking deeper and deeper into heaven because finally, finally when he let God heal him, everything was different. Finally, finally he had real life. And so I invite you today to accept the healing of Jesus to not hold on to what you need or what you want or, or your grievances or your own desires, but to go to Jesus and say, give me what I need. Heal me at the deepest level. And that is the healing that Jesus provides for you, for me, for all of us. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to our need for healing. Lord, prevent any of us from holding on to anything, any any unhealthiness on any level that keeps us from ultimate joy and health in you. Lord, open our eyes to how we are unhealthy, and even more than that, open our eyes to how Jesus gives us new life. We pray for healing. We pray for hope. We pray for renewal. Amen.